There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey folks, welcome. Welcome to kind of end of season Extra Mile. Hope you're all well. Uh, hope, hopefully you just heard Coot. You can just hear him be up behind. He's just woken up. He's just had his breakfast. He's yawning. He's going, meh, 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 meh. As they always do, annoying little bastard that he is. Anyway, I'm not quiet because I've got a neighbour. haven't got a neighbour. That's quite good. Um, um, I'm moored up by myself, which is lovely. But it's early in the morning. I'm just getting this done because I'm heading off north on the train. So I thought I'd get this done. Uh, what's, what's today? Saturday. I think it's the day after the Boxing Day. I can't. I, I, I can't remember. Everything's all gone all crazy because everything's out of sequence now. Because I'm not doing Murder Mile. I'm all out of sequence. Anyway, uh, as promised, this is the episode that I said I'd do. So this is the Q and A episode, and I'll do some kind of uh, letters from John George Haig uh, in full at the end. So we'll do that. So uh, I hope you've all had a good uh, Christmas and uh, holidays and etc. etc. Hope it was all good. Hope you're all full of sugar. I know I am. I've got a, a, a latte in front of me, a homemade latte. Not particularly nice. It was kind of a powdered one. It was okay. Uh, but here, whoa. I'm amazed I haven't eaten more. This was a kilo bar of dairy milk chocolate, which I've had for about 10 days. And in my old pre-diet days, I would have annihilated that in about six minutes. But it's still there. And I, I would say, I'd say, you know, there's about a third left. In fact, I ate most of uh, that the half to a third this morning uh yeah i was gonna have a cake but i haven't got any cakes left i've run out of cake uh but i'm probably not gonna go back to the old cakey ways uh i'm gonna uh probably uh just stick to my regular diet because i'm quite enjoying it actually so it's quite good so as mentioned this will be the last episode uh in this run before uh end of this season i'll take a break uh i've already started planning well, I've already planned what episodes I'm going. Well, I've already planned what cases I'm going to look at for season four, uh, and uh, then I'll have a couple of weeks off to give me time to research them, which will be great. I'm looking forward to that. That's, that's the fun bit that I enjoy. So, before we begin, I uh, thought I'd start with some exciting news. Or we'll start with exciting news. Uh, so myself and Anna, uh, myself and Adam from the UK True Crime Podcast, we will be doing a live show in London. Ooh, I know, very exciting. Uh, so it'll be uh, a one-off show. It's called Secrets of the Serial Killers. <coughs> oh, cough. It's on Thursday the 30th of January 2020. That's next year, but technically this year, really. 
Uh, tickets are about twelve pounds. No location to location to be confirmed at the moment because the venue are kind of uh, keeping it a bit secret. But it's definitely going to be in London. So that's. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes in here so you can click into it or just search the just search secrets of the serial killers. Uh, Thursday, the thirtieth of January, twenty twenty. It'll be at seven o'clock. Uh, it's be about an hour conversation with a uh, a break and a Q and A. Uh, and if it all goes well, we'll do some more shows as well. And I'll, pro- I'll probably do some uh, solo shows as well. So um, a little link in the show notes there. I'll put it on social media as well. Uh, I thought I'd put this in here now because obviously there won't be any episodes in January and probably none in February. So uh, I thought it's best to put. But if you're in London uh, on Thursday, the 30th of January, 2020 at seven o'clock, um, get yourself some tickets. I think £12 is the early bird uh, cost it's uh, averaging around 50, 15 pounds but uh last time adam did a show it was fully booked so um yeah looking forward to that that's going to be good fun where um we're still deciding what angle we're going to take i think i i know i know what i want to do i want to do something that's not not too obvious but we'll be doing that so it's very exciting so uh live shows coming in 2020 Ooh. Um, before we begin, I just wanted to say, got uh, two new Patreon supporters, so thank you to them. Um, they are Kristen, Kristen Regliz. I hope I pronounced, pronounced that correctly. Obviously, normally when I record this doing Murder Mile, I get to try a couple of versions and I work out which is the best. So it's Kristen Regliz and Peter Holloway. Thank you very much to both of them, and also thank you to everyone who's a Patreon supporter as well, who's stuck with me, and previous Patreon supporters, and, of course, everyone who's uh, very kindly um, sent nice words about Murder Mile or give me reviews. They're they're really useful. Um, uh, and just just uh, everyone for listening, really. Thank you very much. Right, OK. First questions. I, uh, I I posted on social media a while ago. Uh, if and I also mentioned on here, if anyone oh burpy, if anyone had any questions that they'd like me to answer, I can do that through here. So we've we've had loads of good questions. So I've kind of whittled it down a bit. So first question from Selena Dean: If you could ask any killer from any time or country one question, what would it be, and what would you ask them? Good question. Thank you very much. Quick slurp. Ugh, that's horrible. Ugh. Um, do you know what? There's loads of different serial killers uh, that I'd love to ask questions of, but uh, obviously, um, do you know, everyone knows that I'm kind of kind of very interested in Dennis Nielsen. I find Dennis really interesting. Obviously, Reg Christie. We've just done Haig. But all of those seem to, um, whether they answer the question or not, with with all of these people, because they're, because there's a sense of del- delusion about them, and a sense of self grandeur, and you know that they they very much love themselves. They talk so much that even if they don't directly answer the question, they kind of indirectly answer the question. So with a lot of these serial killers, you kind of know more about them than they think that you know. Um, especially with Reg as well, like his delusions were were such an insight into who he really was. Um, but the question I I would love to ask the Blackout Ripper, uh, Gordon Frederick Cummings. I would just love to ask him the big question, why? Why did he do his killings? Because obviously where he started, he he doesn't have a criminal background. He has a little history of stealing handbags that we know of. It's it's very petty theft. But there's very little correlation between 
pet the petty theft that he did that he continued to do right through the killings as well like stealing um handbags and little souvenirs to give off to his other girlfriends and things like that but there's no real correlation between that and the violent sadistic murders that he committed there is between stealing handbags and committing robberies but there's no history of robbery there. There's no history of kind of like violent assault robbery. It, he just seems to leap from stealing handbags to absolutely sadistic crimes. He doesn't even go from there to burglary and onwards. He doesn't go from there there to arson. Do you know, there's no there's no sadistic step. He just seems to jump. Uh, and that's what I'd love to know. Do you know, he's, his father got away with, with mild fraud... Um, and it, obviously he had a sense of superiority about them, about him, which all the others have. But just, just why? Why did he? Why did he? Obviously, we, we, and we've got another couple of murders that he did. He did. Uh, well, it's suspected he murdered Mabel Churchyard, and there's one more as well, whose name escapes the top of my head. Whose files I can't get out of the National Archives because they're held until 2042, I think. Uh, but I'd, I'd, I'm still torn about whether to do an episode about possible return of the Blackout Ripper. Uh, well, it wouldn't be the return, it'd be his, his prequels. Obviously, he couldn't return, because after the last one, he was dead. He got executed. So that would be my question, really. I know it's not an, uh, it's not an exciting question, but it really would be why. he's Everyone else, you can kind of work out why they committed the murders that they did and what they're about, but with um, Gordon Frederick Cummings... It doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense why he was so sadistic with his killings. If it was a robbery, why didn't he just, you know, cut their throats or stab them and leave them to die somewhere? Why did he have to... Why was why was the humiliation there? What had happened in his life? What Did a girl turn him down or, do you know, he, he, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to know. I'd love to know. Anyway, that would be my question for that. Um question from russell tudge uh which murder mile killer do you think was the biggest scumbag the one who repulsed you the most that's a kind of a hard question to ask because as you always as you know with with each kind of um even with the serial killers themselves or the murderers themselves i try and see a sympathetic angle on everyone's lives because no one really is born as a kind of a killer or an evil person and do you know, everyone's pushed into a direction. Do you know, even if people are, are, even if people do become evil, you have to, if you look back at their early lives, you can see that someone was evil to them in the past and they're trying to get retribution on. They can't get retribution on the person who was bad to them, so therefore they're, they're, they've become evil to other people as a, a kind of revenge. Um, so it's for me, it's a hard question to ask, but... I would say there's two people probably in the Murder Mile series that we've kind of covered uh, briefly who I would say were probably the two worst people I came across. And oddly, they're both in the same era, both in the same year, almost in the same area as well. And uh, the first one was the uh, Daniel, who was the husband of Mary Ann Moriarty. If you remember, this was the case back in, it was back, I think it was 18, 1850. This was the back of Covent Garden. She was a mother with, uh, I think they had four or five young children. Uh, he was a drunk. He would go out, do his work, get drunk, uh, beat her up. He was really nasty to her, a really nasty piece of shit. She kept 
she kept going to uh, to prison to get him put away. She did it successfully a couple of times. Then he'd come home and, you know, it'd all kick off. And then uh, she ended his life by uh, whacking him over the head several times with an axe. Rightly so. Uh, so I think him... He, I mean, I don't. This is the thing. I don't know much about his earlier life, so which is not to condone his actions, but just to. I'd love to know more about his early life, but I'm not going to research into it. That episode's done now. When it's done, it's done. That's what I think. Um, so I'd love to know more about him, um, but he seemed a bit of a shitbag, uh, and on the same level as well, Alexander Moyer. If you remember that, the the brutal, uh, the brutal baker. He was the one who was the baker. She, Suzanne was his wife. And over a period of three days, he kind of beat her to death. But it wasn't a kind of had her in a room and kept beating her and beating her. It was just every day, unrelenting. She didn't do this quick enough. He hit her. She fell down. He hit her. And it was just... I think that's quite a tragic story because it's so real. There's, there, there, Joe, it's, this is not a serial killer. It's not a murderer going out with a uh, oh, with a knife. Oh, I'm going to stab someone. Oh, me is a killer. Oh, I, I is bad. This is just... Do you know, someone who seems like a regular person living a regular life, doing regular things, but this is the kind of thing, it doesn't matter whether this is 80, 1850s, this kind of thing is happening today. You could transpose this story today. Today, So I think he, he was a massive scumbag. Uh, oh, and also, also, um, I've, which, whoa, what was her name? Uh, Martine Vick Magnusson. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to put him at the top of my list of massive scumbags. Uh, yeah, no, I've, I'm changing it. This is my massive scumbag. So if you go back to the uh, uh, Ma, uh, Martin Vick Magnuson story, if you remember, that was the... I'm going to have to remember the details about this. <clears throat> this was the, the young lady from Norway who'd come over to study in London. Uh, there's a guy on her course. I can't remember his, her name. Uh, uh, they became friends. He took her back to his flat. Uh, he raped her, killed her. Uh, and then, because he's because he's a his daddy is uh, a billionaire over in I think it was Oman I think uh, he called his daddy. Daddy got him on a private flight, flew him all the way back home, and now he's living there in safety. And because there's no extradition extradition treaty between Norway or the United Kingdom or Oman, uh, therefore he can't be extradited. So I would say of all because we know a lot more about his life, and he's a spoilt little brat and a scumbag. And he com- he committed rape and murder, left her for dead, she died, and then he fled like a coward. So he's a scumbag, and if he hears this, I hope he hears this, and if he wants to take me to court, come back to London and do it, you massive piece of shit. There we go. There we go. I think that, I think that answered the question. <laughs> um, Suvan asked a question, what does tatty bye mean? Uh, obviously, uh, at the end of, I think it's at the end of Mini Mile, I always say tatty bye. <coughs> no, I never really thought too much about this because this was always something we used to say as uh, a kid. I always, I think it was my granddad used to say it a lot. So I never really thought much about it. I thought it had, because uh, he's Scottish, I thought it was a Scottish thing or I thought it had something to do with uh, uh, potatoes because obviously tatty is a, a Scottish word for potatoes. Uh, but no, so I, I did actually do a quick search about it, and it is, it's a phrase which was coined, 
uh, by the comedian Ken, Ken Dodd. Um, actually, that sounded more like Paul Daniels. Sorry about that. So Ken Dodd was a comedian, kind of 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. He was still going, like, I think it's, I think he was in the Guinness Book of Records, or is in the Guinness Book of Records, as the, the longest-serving comedian ever. I know he was definitely in there as the person who uh, did the longest comedy gig ever. Ken Dodd was notorious for that. Like, you'd hire him in to do an hour, and he would do, like, three or four. But but he had, like, a back catalogue of... Um, uh, like, his whole brain was just, just knew every joke there was, and he could just keep talking for hours. So I think he was in the Guinness Book of Records for the longest gig. Not that the people who turned up wanted him to do a long gig, but he did. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, Taddy Bai uh, originates from Ken Dodd, which I didn't know, so I was interested to know. But uh, I think it just it, it's just another way of saying bye-bye, but I don't think there's any real me- meaning around it towards uh, potatoes or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I just say it. It's something I like. Right. Uh, a three-parter from Wendy Krill. Uh, one was why and then some emoticons, but I put it through emoticon translate, and I, it, even that didn't understand it. So I, I, I don't know what the I don't know what the first question means, so I can't answer it. Uh, but second question: uh, What did you do when you worked for the BBC? Um, I, I used to work in uh, comedy, developing. Well, I say developing projects, but I was kind of not in a position where I could develop projects. I hadn't got any money, I hadn't got any power. It's a bit of a pointless job, to be honest. Uh, and then it kind of got worse. It kind of, I, I kind of got shoved down into a bit of a shit position where basically I just did paperwork, uh, I, and I really hated it. Uh, I think the first five years I loved. The last five years I absolutely detested. Um, uh, and basically, my job really was just to reject stuff. Really, reject shit. Uh, but it, it was one of these jobs where you know I always thought it'd be my dream job. You know, to work for BBC Comedy, developing projects, reading scripts, analysing them, seeing what the problems were. Um, and it just it just, it just, depressed me after a while. I was just like, oh, I really hate it. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite depressing when you're a writer, or you want to be a writer, and you're reading other people's shite. And sometimes their, their shite is terrible, and you go, right, that's shite. But sometimes the shite gets made, or quite often... Because a celebrity is involved, people go, oh, "Well, we have to make it because a celebrity is involved." I've got some, I've got some stories, but I'm just not gonna, not gonna tell you them about people who are famous and how little work some of them do. Not all of them, some of them do to get their projects off the ground. Really, really. Oh, anyway. Uh, so no, I was there. But the good thing with that is, is I spent a lot of time. It, 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 this is kind of. I got to the point where I got into a rut with it. I'd go to the Edinburgh Fringe every year. Watching people perform shows, and I, I, I think I'd watched like eight in a row that were absolute dog shit. Uh, and I came out of one, I think I mentioned this before, I came out of one of them and said, God, that was awful. Um, and then I thought to myself, well, I, how, could I, how could I say that? I probably couldn't do any better. So, because I like challenges, I set myself a challenge of doing an Edinburgh Fringe show the next year, which I wrote and directed and performed in myself, which I'd never done before. Um, and it was terrifying, but... The great thing was, it was a real learning curve. I was like, A, I did it, I got off my ass. I proved that I could do it. It wasn't particularly good. Uh, but you learn from your mistakes. Um, so so actually, this this neatly leads into your second question, third question, because the first question, 
it's got emoticons, I can't read emoticons. Uh, the third question uh, was, how, how did that prepare you for a second career as a podcaster? Well, weirdly, it was actually the, the all the fringe stuff that helped. So because because I couldn't hire actors, I couldn't afford actors, I hadn't got a set, I hadn't got any props. Uh, and the stage on the first play I wrote, the stage was probably only about a metre wide and it was triangular and it was, you know, you couldn't move around a lot. Um, so I recorded it all using uh, a kind of a uh, a musical, a uh, pre-recorded musical and uh, sound effects backing track. And then I performed to that. Uh, so weirdly, that all of the, and actually all the shows after that, um, were of that same theme. They're all to a backing track. But weirdly, when, when I kind of look back, uh, they're all burpees again. When I look back at them now, that it is kind of like mini podcasts in a way. It's not kind of me talking, but it is. It's me telling a story, two pre-recorded uh, music and sounds, and I, I'd create all of my own sounds as well. Um, but that was really useful. I think. I think, and that really helped me a lot because you know some of them were good, some of them I learned uh, many lessons from, and you know, I think that's important to not just. I think this is what a lot of too many people do is they they think oh I'm going to sit down today and I'm going to start writing a book and then I'm going to be rich and successful and and you can't control that you know what happens from something you can't control but I I always think to myself never that this is an end point I always think of everything I do as a starting point so like this podcast you know what will it lead to next who knows um, will I be doing this in ten years time probably not. Uh, we'll be doing it in five years time probably now um, but you know because it has to lead to something else and what I what I enjoy is that every episode I'm, I make mistakes and then I learn from my mistakes and I make it hopefully I make each each episode bigger and better and that that's what I learned from the Edinburgh Fringe festivals and uh, do you know we, we, working at BBC kind of loving the job and hating the job I kind of learned that do you know what you need to do what you need to do as opposed to just being stuck in a job you hate and just going, oh, God, I hate this. So, um, yeah, that's been very useful. Uh, Question, oh, I'm going to have another slurp. Ugh, I didn't stir that properly. There's a big old chunk of powdery, uh, the powdery latte. Or it could have been a slug, who knows. Um, A question here from Carol Wood. Um... Carol's question, I would love to live on a canal boat, had numerous holidays on various canals back in the 80s with friends. What are the highs and lows of living on one, apart from the obvious uh, unhappy smiley face? I can read I can read that emoticon. <laughs> um, well, the thing, it, it's good for me because it's the... The thing I love about it is it's freedom. I can be in different places. I have different neighbours, which is really good. Um, uh, living in London is incredibly expensive. So for me, it's good because I own the boat outright, so I don't have any rent. Uh, so even if I have lean months and I can't afford much. Like in, in 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 my early days, when I was trying to be a writer and was being rejected by almost almost every production company who, when I worked for the BBC, said, said oh, yeah, Oh yeah, you're going off to write. Yeah, send us your scripts. Oh yeah, we'd love to read it. And then when I finally did go off and become a writer, the second I left the BBC, they turned their backs. Almost all of them. I think there was like a handful who were still very good, but almost all. You could see who were the genuine people and who were the shitbags. 
uh, and quite a few of them gave really shit shit notes and my not shit notes meaning awful notes just just notes that weren't of any value at all they weren't helpful at all you could tell it was generic notes and some just uh, some just didn't reply to my emails so um so um in my early days when i was trying to make it as a as a writer uh i, I think my first year i earned 50 pounds um but and the year after that i earned 500 pounds uh so anyone out there who wants to make it as a writer um do but just accept the fact that it's it's not a well-paying job. I think they say that the average... I know everyone looks at J.K. Rowling and goes, whoa, multimillionaire, whoa. Uh, that wasn't Boris Johnson there. Um, but they, I think they say that the average writer earns about 10 grand a year, which is which is uh, less than the, the national average. Do you know, you, you'll earn more stacking shelves in a supermarket. But if you're prepared for that uh, and you're... Uh, and you just want to do what you want to do, then do it, do it. But um, d- just don't ex- expect overnight success. Because uh, let's be honest, you can't control success. If I could, if I could, Murdermile would be number one in the charts. But it isn't. It's way down. Crap like Doctor Death gets to be number one because they pay for it. They pay. Oh, we have mentioned this before. I'm not going to get on that sidetrack again. Oh, all these po- all these oh, all these big podcasts that pay to be at, at the top of the charts. Oh, so infuriating. Anyway, um, so yeah, so that's uh, so living on the boat has been really useful. That's really helped. It's given me the chance to do the podcast and do the tours, and da, 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 that's all really good. So that's really helped. Downside: uh, lack of power is a bit of a pain in the ass. Uh, I think my engine batteries are a bit low at the moment, so uh, they're struggling. Uh, my my backup battery that I use for my uh, uh, mobile phone that's because that's powered by the sun. Uh, and we don't have a lot of sun here, so that's almost dead. Which means I'm relying off the generator, and the generator does tend to uh, pump back noxious fumes, uh, carbon monoxide into the boat. So uh, things like that, yeah. Or like or like you know recently because uh, you've got you've got to carry around a big old tank of your poo, your poo and your wee wee in the boat. Because you can't dump it in the canal because that's that's bad. Um, and because one of the pump outs I tried to use a couple of months ago was gone and it, there's not many around there. Um, I I was carrying around like probably about 200 litres of poo on one side of the boat. And it can be a bit smelly sometimes. But even worse, it off balances the boat. So the boat is leaning to it. Oh, yeah. So you have to, you have to keep during periods of winter especially winter when you've got all your your coal and your log on logs on the boat you've got to keep rebalancing the boat that can be a real pain in the ass but apart from that no i i really like it it's a nice way to live it can be quite cold and it's hard work but um if you're prepared for that it's good uh question from owen bainan um merry christmas he says well thank you very much owen uh, Merry Christmas, I hope I'm not too late This was good timing because Owen sent this through on my social media Literally as I was preparing this episode Owen said um, I may have missed it near the start of the episode But how did Haig get uh, So John George Haig from Sulfuric How did Haig get into a position to benefit From bumping off Olivia Robard's Duran Deacon Before shooting her um, With this With this uh with this point, I, I didn't actually uh, flag this up too heavily in this episode because I kind of felt we'd covered it in the the first five episodes. But with Haig, um, he didn't feel... 
it's interesting when you look at you can see his kind of confidence but his overconfidence in the characters and if you look at uh, Mac McSwan so William Donald McSwan uh, he kind of knew him over a period of about six years so he knew him over six years he got to know him really well he kind of he knew he could adopt his kind of manner uh, his writing styles and he knew all about his life because they were friends and then he killed him so that was about six years then he realized he'd made a mistake and he had to get into the confidence of Mac's parents which was a hard thing to do, but he'd already learnt enough about them. So that was over a period of a year. But So that's gone from six years of knowing someone to a year. And then he needed more money. So when you look at that again, the next people he picked up uh, to murder was the Hendersons. And he hadn't known the Hendersons that long. So, th- so his next victims, he'd only known for about six months. I think it was September 4th, and they were murdered, I believe it was, I think it was the start of February. So not much time on there. So you can see that his time scales are getting shorter and shorter and shorter um, on how much information he can learn about these people now uh, with uh, Olive as they called her Mrs Duran Deacon he barely references her at all so you can see that um, he, he, he doesn't really know enough about her he knows a little bit about her he knows that she's got a lot of money he knows that she's a widower he's talking to her in the kind of the, the tea room but that really is it so I think that that really tells you enough about the fact that he just sees this woman, he sees that she's got a lot of money, and he's like, well, I'm going to take that. And as we've seen before, do you know, the, the, the legal process really wasn't that, that, that stringent. He knew that if... If he could get her driving licence, he could fabricate her, um, her signature. Uh, she was a widower, she'd got family, but they, they weren't amazingly close. She was a little bit close to her sister, who she'd see every two weeks. But it was like... But I think it was overconfidence on his part. He'd, he'd obviously, with the Hendersons, the Hendersons were quite social people. So he knew that he could he could convince anyone the fact that even with the social people like the Hendersons, he'd just say, they went off to South Africa. And everyone goes, oh, OK, that's fine. That makes sense. But that, but for me, I think that's a, that's a big part. I, I think it was overconfidence on his behalf with Olive, Mrs. Duran Deacon. I think he thought it would work again, and I don't think it would have. I really don't think it would have worked. I think, I think she was too rich. I think she was too popular. Do you know, as I mentioned, she, she kind of didn't have debts. She didn't have enemies. Everybody loved her. She gave a lot of donations, regular donations to charity. She saw her sixth sister on a regular basis. She had, she was a woman of routines. He hadn't fact. I don't think he'd factored any of that in. I think he was just cocky enough and confident enough to think that he could just pick someone at random, go, "You've got enough money," and then he's and then he'd, uh, you know, kill them and uh, take all their money. I think I think it, it really was that. So. Um, yeah, bit of bit of an oddball is old uh, old Haig. Anyway, I hope everyone enjoyed that uh, the series. I, I just, it was as I mentioned, it was designed to be very different from all the others. I didn't want it to be too blackout rippery. I didn't want it to be too too um, uh, Christie ish. Uh, I just wanted to try and do something different with it, and it was uh, yeah. I hope it, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, I enjoy I enjoyed being Haig for a bit. He's uh, an interesting character to try and try and get your head around. But again, he's another one of these ones where he doesn't give a lot away. 
Yeah, but it's only when you dive into kind of his letters and things you kind of learn more about who he was. Um, so a letter from uh, a letter, uh, a question from Textmeister. Uh, the question is, what unsolved case would you love to solve? Good question. Um, there's one that I'm desperate to solve, which I know I'll never solve, uh, which is the, the murder of uh, David Francis Lawrence. He's a five-year-old. He was uh, found dead in a public toilet in Tabard Gardens in SE1. So it's kind of near, just near the Thames. Uh, and that was back in 1968. Um, there's loads of files in the National Archives about it, uh, but they're all held for about another 30 years. Uh, there was very little in the newspapers. It was They didn't cover it up, but just no one really covered it. But it was like a five-year-old boy beaten to death there's very little details about it whether he was beaten around the head some people say he was sexually abused it's like but there's just no details on it but the, the there was a lot of archive files so i'd love to get the archive files to to learn more about that case and learn more about who he was and yeah but unfortunately i i won't get that case so that's that's the one that i'd love to love to know more about because it's um I'm sure it'd be a really sad story, but I just just love to know more and and you know the kind of person who would murder a five year old boy makes makes you question do you know uh what that kind of person is well were they ever caught who knows so uh yeah, I'd love to know more about that uh here's one from Joe no surname just joe uh what are your favorite sounds used on murder mile good question. Uh, as you know, I love uh, adding my own sounds. Sometimes, uh, quite often, I would create my own sounds, or I record. I record either the the sounds in the real locations, or when when I can't, I create my own sounds and different soundscapes. Uh, but I did some interesting ones. I felt with uh, sulfuric. Um, if you listen to the scenes in the police station, if you're listening to them uh, like in a noisy environment in a car, you probably didn't hear any of this. Uh, because it's very subtle sounds, but um, what I, what I wanted to do was when you go whenever Hague is in the police station, I wanted to create a kind of a sound that felt like uh, that it was something unnerving uh, that felt like you were inside an oil drum. So you that felt like in in the way that he was cocooned in the police station, I wanted you to feel like you were cocooned in an oil drum, like one of his victims. Um, uh, so it's quite a weird vibratory sound. So when you listen to it, um, I think the first sound you hear is a kind of a, a, a it's a weird, it's a weird clunking sound. Uh, and what I'm trying to remember, it's 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 kind of got a, it's a shifting sound, but it's a clunking sound. It's hard to describe, and deliberately because um, it's actually the sound of sand dunes. It's it's uh, a water phone, so a, a kind of a, it's it's like a copper plate with a, a a recording device in it that echoes. It's put into into a sand dune on a very hot day, and then the wind is blown over it, and this is the sounds of the sand dunes it makes. So actually, that's what you're hearing is sand dunes. So I put that in because it's a really weird sound. It's got a nice clunking sound, which sounds like an oil drum. Um, also in the background of there, you will hear the sound of very dry clay being put into a tub of water and dissolving. Uh, it, it's nice. It's all the sounds that you think... All the sounds that you think would sound like someone being put into an oil drum and, dis, drum and dissolved don't sound like they're meant to. 
like I think, like I said before, like like trying to get the sound of of uh, a fly buzzing. Buzz flies don't buzz except a blue bottle, and you know it's hard to get a blue bottle. Most flies don't make a buzzing sound. So when I need uh, uh, the sound of uh, flies buzzing, I have to get uh, wasps uh, because wasps actually do make a sound. Uh, but but weirdly, like if you if you were to try and uh, even like I experimented with ideas of things that I thought might fizz, like pop, you know, like uh, a can of Coke or an Alka Seltzer in a glass. But they're, they're, when you hear them, you can tell what the sound is. Uh, so with this, it was uh, uh, the sound of very, very dry clay being dissolved in a tub of hot water. That that is interesting. When you listen to that sound, it's got the cracking sound, uh, and that really works nicely. Uh, in there is some bacon being fried. I used that for when the bodies were being dissolved. But what I did was I uh, I experimented with the speed of the sound. So sometimes I, I I played it a lot faster. Sometimes it was slower. So I got two kind of different rhythms going. Uh, and some of the sounds were really simple, like like just a gallon water bottle being emptied. Um, uh, that was the sound of the drum being tipped and the bod- the dissolved bodies being tipped away. And I just I dropped the um, the speed of the sound, uh, so and added more bass. So it was just much bassier. Uh, and when the uh, the oil drum was heating up uh, and boiling. Uh, I added the sound of a set of locks being rattled, and I just dropped the dropped the um, dropped the bass on that. So um, yeah, when you listen, so hopefully when you listen to the the bodies being dissolved, you can hear all that. And when when you go back and listen to the the scenes in uh, Chelsea Police Station, that's what you can hear is is uh, the sounds of shifting sands. Uh, I put in some other sounds as well. I can't remember what they were. They were really obscure sounds that I put in. Um, to make you feel unnerving so if you do get a chance if 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 you were listening to it in a car have it even if you just listen to the opening of uh part one of sulfuric uh would it be there i think i used it quite a lot in, in part one you can hear it in there and have a listen to the sounds they're really good took me ages to do um but obviously it's the same like at the end of part six when uh Haig does get executed um I do the sounds of the execution, which I've used before, and and that's really simple. I don't have any, I don't have a, I don't have a button on my laptop, and I go execution, and it plays. It's these are all sounds that I've had to create to try and recreate the idea of someone being executed. So when Haig is executed at the end, that's just the sound of a, a bedroom door being opened, uh, but it's slowed down, and I've I've added more bass to that. Uh, I've put in chains rattling, slowed that down as well. Um, uh, a fist hitting a pillow. It's all just different. It's all this. The execution sound is like about six different sounds just put together at a really fast speed. So they, so hopefully you hear the sound of a body falling, and uh, and then at the end you hear the tautness of a rope. Um, that was actually uh, one of the ropes on my boat. It was. It was. Uh, a windy day but i had a muffler on my microphone and the rope uh the boat was being tugged by the rope and you could hear it like that so uh that that came in useful Whew, those are the questions hope you enjoy you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection 
Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm going to do, uh, do some letters from... Uh, John George Haig, if I may. I've got some statements. Uh, I thought I'd read them out in full. Um, yeah. Obviously, I mentioned before that there was... Um, in his statements... I took this out of the series because it kind of threw us off. But in his statements, his first four... I think it was four, four or five statements, he kind of fudged around the details of the fact that he'd killed these people. He was like, oh, I saw them here, they did this, or, do you know, and he changed his story all the time, which is why the police were on to him and they were brought him in for questioning quite a lot. But on the 28th of uh, January 1949, um, this was the one where he, he made the statement about the fact that he'd killed them because he knew he was about to be caught, but he well. He knew that they were onto him, but he was like, I'm too clever for... I'm so clever, they're never going to catch me. I might as well just confess to all these murders. The dickhead that he is. Um, When he realised that... uh, When uh, uh, Detective Inspector Webber turned around and and, uh, let him know, uh, do you know, we don't need a body in order to uh, convict you. All we need is just evidence that they were there. And And Haig was like... Oh shit! I've just given them absolutely everything. Um, he started making the statements, and in there he started adding in uh, details about uh, whether he could play the the insanity plea. Uh, it's quite interesting. Even at this point, like literally after Weber said, "Oh no, we don't need a body to to hang you. You know, uh, we just need evidence that you were there." Um, Haig literally turned around to him and said. Uh, what are the chances of getting out of Broadmoor? Like Broadmoor, the psychiatric prison. Uh, and it was like, uh, oh, it's almost impossible to get out of Broadmoor. And, it, and then he started asking him questions about the insanity plea and stuff like that. So you can see in these statements, he starts to make changes. And this is what... I removed these from the series because I, I knew it would throw everyone off. But uh, you'll, see, you'll, you'll notice his little additions that he's made about about to get him off on the insanity plea. Um so, I won't do it in his voice. Uh, I have already made. I have already made some statements to you about the disappearance of Mrs. Duran Deacon. I have been worried about the matter and fenced about it in the hope uh, that you would not find out about it. The truth is, however, we left the hotel together and went to Crawley together in my car. 
she was inveigled into going to Crawley, but you can see that I've, when I did this for the series, I've deliberately edited these so they sound con coherent, because he tends to, because this is, this is read by Haig to a copper who's writing it down, so it's kind of, it's a bit bitty, so I've, I've I've edited them quite heavily when we did them for the series. Um, she was inveigled into going to Crawley by me in view of her interest in artificial fingernails. Having taken her into the storeroom at Leopold Road, I shot her in the back of the head while she was examining some paper for use as fingernails. See if you can spot the insanity plea. I then went out to the car and fetched a drinking glass and made an incision. I think with a penknife in the side of her throat and collected a glass of blood, which I then drank. Did he spot it? <laughs> Following that, I removed the coat she was wearing, a Persian lamb coat, and the jewellery... Uh... Sorry, there's notes from me there. Uh, and put her in a 40-gallon tank. I then filled the tank up with sulfuric acid by means of a stirrup pump from a carboy and left it to react. He's very vague about all this. Um... I should have said that in between putting her in the tank and pumping in the acid, I went round to the ancient priors, which was a cafe, for a cup of tea. She also, he also had his scrambled egg. Uh, I left, having left the tank to react, I brought the jewellery and revolver into the car and left the coat on the bench. I went to the George, which is the hotel round the corner, for dinner, and I remember I was late, about nine-ish. I then came back into town and returned to the hotel at about half past ten. I put the revolver back in the square hat box. This was the Archie's hat box, which had a big H on it. The following morning, I had breakfast. And as I have already said, I, I discussed the disappearance of Mrs. Durand Deacon with the waitress and Mrs. Lane. That's Constant Lane. Uh, I eventually went back to Crawley via Putney, where I sold her watch en route at a jeweler's, at a jeweler's on a high street for £10. That would have been bulls, the jeweler's. At Crawley, I called in to see how the reaction uh, in the tank had gone. It was not sufficiently complete, as we remember her foot was still uh, there and hadn't boiled down. So I went on to Horsham, having picked up the coat and put it in the back of the car. I called at Bull's the jewellers for evaluation, but Mr Bull was not in. Interestingly, he went in to see Mr Bull. His assistant was there. He got the stuff valued and... Um, Haig was a little bit upset about this because the stuff he'd taken in, he thought was good value, but some of it wasn't. Like, Mrs. Duran Deacon, she had some jewellery that she was quite expensive because she liked that, but some of the other stuff was just paste jewellery. It was, it was, some of it was real crap. But she liked she just, she just liked nice things. So it did, for her, it didn't matter whether it was expensive or not. Uh, she would wear it. But when Haig took them in, he wasn't getting a nice price for this. But because he was broke, he was like, fine, I'll take whatever, ever you got. Um, uh, I returned to town and on the way in I dropped off the the coat at Cottage Dry Cleaners in Rygate I didn't mention about her coat in here but he, as with many of the victims in order, if if the coat was dirty it had been oil, uh, oil stained or it got acid stains or blood on it uh, in this case it would have had blood on it uh, he took it into the dry cleaners to get it cleaned the coat was dry cleaned but he never collected it uh, on Monday, I returned to Claw Crawley to find the reaction was almost complete, but a bit of fat and bone was still floating in the sludge. I emptied off the sludge with a bucket and tipped it on the ground opposite the shed and pumped a further quality quantity of acid into the tank to decompose the remaining fat and bone. I then, le I then left that to work until the following day. 
Um, from there, I went to Horsham again uh, to have the jewellery valued for probate. It was valued at just over £130. I called back at the factory on West Street. The factory is where Edward Jones works uh, and returned to town. I returned to Horsham on Tuesday and sold the jewellery for 100 quid. £60 cash and £40 owing because they hadn't got enough money on them at the jewellers. That was £40 that he never received. Um, so he actually got fleeced on that one. But you can see how desperate he was. He was like, just give me the money, I don't care. Oh dear, sorry. My, oh, I'm all bunged up. Oh. I'm going to have to open a window. Oh. Uh, on Tuesday, I re re returned to Crawley and found the decomposition complete and emptied the tank off. I would add that the only thing that the acid had not attacked was the plastic handbag that he'd put in. Uh, if you remember, the handles were the only things that uh, the acid hadn't destroyed. I tipped this off with the sludge. On Tuesday, when I completely emptied the tank, I left it outside in the yard. Uh, I owed Mr Jones, it's Edward Jones, the co-director, £50 and paid him 30, £36 on Tuesday for the money I got from the jewellers. The revolver the police found in Crawley in the storeroom is the one I used, mis used to shoot Mrs Duran Deacon. He also used the same revolver to shoot the Hendersons. Uh, and I took it down there in the hatbox on Saturday morning. Uh, it's kind of weird. He, um, he took the revolver home back to the Onslow Court Hotel and then took it back to the storeroom. And it's weird. He's, you can see how arrogant he is. His clean-up is just terrible. He doesn't, doesn't even bother to clean up. Before I put the handbag in the tank, I took from it the cash, about 30 shillings, uh, a fountain pen, uh, and kept these and tipped the rest in the tank with the bag. The fountain pen is still in my room. Uh, she also had a large bunch of keys attached in, to the inside pocket of a coat by a large chain and safety pin. I, I discarded the chains of the cruciform, those the, the, the Russian cruciform she wore around her neck, and the keys in the bottom of the hedge in a lane going down to Bracken Cottage um, uh, over in Buxted. Doesn't really mention it. Apparently he had some friends over there, so he went to visit them in between the murder and the disposal. Um, oh, here we go. Well, uh, when I went to stay with friends on Wednesday. So the day after the disposal was complete, he was uh, dis destroying on his way to visit visits friends and he was destroying evidence en route uh, the keys i inserted into the ground separately as with the cruise form these keys were never found uh miss fargus who is uh it's esme fargus mrs durandeacon's sister identified the chain as her sister's as it was used on the cruciform. The ration books and clothing, uh, coupon books and other documents uh, in the names of McSwan and Hendersons are the subject of another story. Uh, this obviously isn't his final statement. Uh, this is covered very briefly by the fact that in 1944 I disposed of William Donald McSwan in a similar manner to above in the basement of 79 Gloucester Road and Donald McSwan and Amy McSwan in 1946 at the same address. In 1948, Dr. Archibald Henderson and his wife Rosalie, also in a similar manner at Leopold Road. You can see how he just brushes across those. Um, let me just whiz through this one, because um, he go, he's going into the statement here about the Hendersons, which I've used quite a lot before. Um, some of the things that I didn't mention is, is when after he'd done his insanity plea, he tried to claim that he'd murdered other people as well. There's a whole statement he gives 
saying that he murdered a girl called Mary, who he met in Eastbourne in the in autumn nineteen forty eight. Police did an investigation into this. They couldn't find anyone called Mary, anyone from Eastbourne, who was missing in autumn nineteen forty eight who matched that description. Um, uh, police did find a Kathleen Mary Grace Reeves who was reported missing in June 1948 in Eastbourne. Um, uh, she was later discovered living in Brockham Hill Camp uh, in Surrey with her with her illegitimate son and had changed their name to Child. Uh, there there were no missing missing females in the Eastbourne files with the name Mary or the either the first name or middle name of Mary. Um, there was about three or four different people who he said he murdered on top of that, but uh, all of it seemed to be bullshit, and it seemed to be a lot of uh, lies just to, to help him with his insanity play. Um, do I do this big letter? There's a big old letter here. Maybe I won't. I'll do. I won't do all of it because it's huge. But I've got a letter here that Haig sent to Arnold Berlin, who was Rosalie's brother, and their mum. Uh, this is on the 21st of March 1948, so after he had murdered uh, the Hendersons. And this was one of these letters to assuage them. So this was a letter to them pretending to come from Rosalie Henderson, which it, which it obviously it wasn't. But uh, uh, this is very private and confidential, although you'll have to discuss its main points with Haig and McNabb Taylor, who were, were the solicitors who uh, Haig had instructed. I'm having to write to you in a hurry because we got... We've got to go back to Glasgow because we got to go. That doesn't read properly because we because we've got to go back to Glasgow today, and found out that the boat we want to go on leaves on Tuesday. There's lots you'll be wanting to know, and there's lots I want to tell you. Uh, I have already told you what happened in Brighton. Obviously, she mentioned that she had a bust up with Archie, which never really happened. Uh, from there, we came to Scotland, and we have been up and down the country since. I won't say what scheme we've put into operation, but you'll you'll have a perfectly free conscience about it. Obviously, this by this point, this is Haig. Try not to give away too many details about the fact that he's fleecing all the money out of them and uh, uh, pretending that they're using him as a go-between. Uh, Archie was at his wit's end for capital, and we couldn't have stayed in London. You'll realise that from your cheque and without... Uh, this is to Arnold. You'll realise that from your cheque and without paying into Barclays, which is quite useless, we can't put that right. Her writing is terrible. Um, they clamped down on Archie's overdraft completely. We could have made money at Dawes Road uh, if we had put, if we could have put stock, put in stock of about two thousand uh, pounds. But what with the rent tribunal and so forth. It was getting very sticky indeed. Actually, it's quite interesting because uh, with this being Rose, he's actually, um, uh, Haig has actually picked up on the fact that her writing is not particularly good. So he's even picking up on the fact that, you know, um, rather than with Ar with it, when Archie would do letters, it would be quite blunt and to the point. Uh, with this one, she's trying to be quite nice, nice about it, but it's, it's just not, it's not scanning correctly. It's a bit, it's a bit all over the shop. Uh, and Archie was a bit sore about not letting you have a have a loan, although I should have been a bit more surprised if you had. Uh, let me just try and whiz on to this. Uh, uh, oh, so she, she they, 
the reference here about well they reference here Hague references here uh, as Rose about going to uh, South Africa uh, the showdown at Brighton when he found out I intended to leave him shook him up uh, no little bit I'm determined one things that shut uh, oh, burpees I'm determined on one things that he shan't spend his time in the West End and we are going to Rhodesia where I want to trade in ground nuts and um, where there is a good opportunity in catering slash hotels. But if he likes, he can get himself a practice in Durban. We are going right away and not by big liner. Uh, will you please write to us courtesy of the general post office in Durban until we know our new address? Uh, if he does... Uh, doesn't even... It's, oh, this is hard to read. This one's really hard to read. Hang on, let me let me whiz forward a bit. There's some interesting bits. Uh, hang on. There's some interesting bits where Haig has actually written... Oh, no, no, let's do this one. Let's do the one from... Um, this is the one I wanted to read out fully. This was the one... This was the letter from Rose Henderson, which is actually written by John George Haig, which he has written to himself which was a letter that he would receive, having sent it to himself from Rose Hederson, which he wrote, and then he could show it to Arnold Berlin and go, oh, look, oh, look, she's she's very happy with me. Uh, so this was sent on the 17th of February, 1948. This was a series of letters he sent to himself. Uh, as mentioned, this was the one on the Metropole Hotel headed paper, but crossed out with Edinburgh written on. And it says, my dear Mr. Haig, to let you know we are all, we are all right, although it's bloody cold as you must be wondering when you are going to hear from us. I'm glad we had a shindy. I've no idea what shindy means. Uh, oh, no, shindy, my argument. I'm glad we had a shindy because Archie is quite different now and you won't believe it, he is laying off the bottle. I feel that he has at, at last come to his senses and realises I could not carry on as we were doing. That pokey place at Dawes Road was too awful. We are going... We we are going to some friends. Oh, we are going to some friends of his at Aberdeen tomorrow for another day or two. We shall be calling at my brother Arnold's in An Manchester on the way back in about ten days' time. Archie won't get in touch with him at the moment because uh, he sent him a stumor, a stumor check, which I, I'm guessing means duff check. Um, Barclays have refused to increase his overdraft. It was good of you to help him, and I do appreciate it, and I hope you are having luck, good luck with the, the stock at Dawes Road. I shall look forward to seeing you again in London before we go to South Africa. I hope Pat is not... Pat is dog, don't forget, uh, who by that point wasn't quite dead, but he was almost dead. Uh, I hope Pat is not giving you any trouble. I don't suppose he is. He is very good and has always been very fond of you. Give him a hug from me. I'm glad we didn't bring him. I'm glad we didn't bring him on any journeys, as it would have been too much. For once, Archie was right. Please give my kind regards to Daisy. Uh, and then he, he, as Rose writes, do you think you can get any spiders for when we come back? I have no idea what that means, but I like how he's done that. He's put little kind of um, instead of just making it quite formulaic, he's put little kind of inserts in there, so uh, so people do believe. Oh, this was the letter. Was this the one? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, why is this the one? 
Another letter from uh, Rose, well, supposedly from Rose, but actually from uh, Johnny Haig to himself. This was one of the final letters just before he finally got uh, the deeds to Dawes Road and all of their personal possessions legally. And it says, uh, Dear Haig, I'm glad to say we've done it with much thanks to your assistance, which other friends seem to have lacked the courage to do. We have made enough now to embark on a completely fresh start. We must go at once. I'm sh- I am sure there are sure to be certain inqui- there are sure to be certain inquiries at first, but they will die out. They will not reach you. Our capital has been increased within the law, but on on unorthodox lines. So for safety's sake, I'll say, say no more about it. So he's already putting in there that they've done all everything illegally or, or kind of semi-legally. Uh, they've had to disappear. It's not his fault. Blah blah blah. Um, uh, Archie is not returning your loan from cash, as we can't say the <coughs> say the time it will take to deal with Dawes Road. He is turning over the property to you, and leaving you to pay off. The Rock, uh, which was kind of their, they had some debts there, out of the proceeds if you sell it. Or you may want to keep it as an investment, although I think not. Most of the bills were paid before we went to Kingsgate, which was the hotel on the south coast. Um, And so you'll have some small ones to deal with. Archie sent a conveyance to Barlett and Gluckstein, which were the lawyers, uh, who will communicate with you forth, uh, forthwith, unlike Hemsons. Uh, Hemsons were actually the Henderson's solicitors, but uh, Haig sent a letter from Rose saying that they didn't want to deal with uh, Hemsons, uh, but Haig did that deliberately because he knew that Hemsons would pick on the, on the fact that this was a bit of a con, uh, which is why he, he bought in his own lawyers. Um, and this will put things in order. I hope it, this won't be too much trouble to ask of you, but I think it will come out all right. Now the worst trouble is going to be Pat, who was a dog. I hate leaving him, but obviously we can't take him with us. So if he is too much trouble, send him to Jersey, which is where uh, Arnold, uh, Archie's sister lived. Uh, unless Arnold would like to have him, although somehow I don't think he will. Uh, a little bit about locums there. Um, there was actually one letter that I, I didn't mention before uh, because this is like months and months later. So um, obviously John George Hager got uh, access to the house and all of their property and he'd managed to pay off. Well, he'd given Arnold Berlin the money that he he was owed for the uh, refur- refurbishing Dawes Road. So he was kind of a little bit pacified by that point. But 30th of July, 1948, which is obviously months later, um, Haig allegedly receives a letter, uh, but actually it was sent from himself. Obviously, the envelope that went with it was with destroyed, which was convenient for Johnny Haig because it, apparently it was sent from uh, the Beau Rivage in Geneva, so over in Switzerland. Uh, and it says, "Dear John, uh, this is from Archie. Dear John, would you please go along to Barclays and get a statement of accounts and a list of securities? I can't remember what the position is at this date. From the latter, I want you to see what can be done to best." advantage so that the overdraft is cleared i enclose a letter of authority for you to give bark 
to give to Barclays for you to obtain the information you require. Kind regards from Self and Rose. Yours sincerely, Archie. P.S. I enclose a cheque for you, but I'm sh- but I'm unsure that the there are funds at Notting Hill to pay off what I owe you, so you bet you better go to the bank and fill it in for a hundred and fifty pounds or what or or what is or what is come on or what is left whichever is the less or what is left i'm not going to reread that anyway so uh so basically um a final letter even though he'd kind of got everything he he did a final letter which was a, a letter from archie to himself with a uh an a letter of authority in there and a check which he didn't need to use to basically basically make everyone believe that yep they're in geneva now they're on the way to uh south africa uh everything's going as planned and uh johnny haig is all in control so uh yeah but there's loads of, uh, of hopefully if you've been on my social media um or if you go to my blog there's loads of i i've put loads of uh pictures on there all the crime scene photos are on there uh uh i did some interesting ones recently the the apron is on there the gauntlets are on there the uh the drums pictures of the drums the ghost pictures of the gallstones are on there so they're all on there so uh if you uh go to my website go to the blog have a look all all the photos are on there uh and i think that's it i think that's it for the q a no more questions and no more letters I, I, i'll post some of the letters i post on there as well Whew, that was good that was all done all done everyone all done have i done it yep just under an hour just under an hour so about an hour so good that's not too long i didn't want to do a long episode for this so um this brings us to the end of the murder mile season huzzah it's been it's been a good 10 months considering we started this run with uh no more murder mile after the crazy lady wanted to try and sue me uh and then i almost wrote started a new podcast and then thanks to everyone with their kind words i uh, came back with mini mile and mini mile gave them the confidence to start again with murder mile and then we came back with murder mile we were back full so um this is the end of this season. I'm going to have some time off now to relax because I'm working seven days a week, sometimes 16-hour days. It's very exhausted. So I'm going to have some time off, which will be good. I'm heading up north, going to see uh, my friend Rich tonight, Rich and Jason Nini. Going to see my brother and his family tomorrow, which will be good. Definitely going to... I've drawn a list of things to do so so I can prepare to have time off, which is good. Looking forward to that. Uh, and then... I'm going to go to uh, spend a good couple of weeks in the National Archives. Oh, my favourite bit. Going into the archives, pulling out old files, trying to work out what the cases are about, finding the stories, all, all the stuff I really love. So I'm going to do that. Uh, and then we'll return with season, season four of Murder Mile. So that will be um, more of your regular Murder Mile episodes. Uh, we'll put in some more mini miles as well. Uh, I'll throw in some meander miles as well. What I'm trying to do is make sure that I don't burn myself out because because the, the full murder mile episodes are really exhausting. They're they're the really time consuming ones, uh, which is why mini miles nice because they take about half the time 
to do. A meander mile takes like about a sixth of the time. Uh, there's going to be some more multi-parters will be coming up. Uh, we'll obviously end the year with a big multi-parter. I haven't quite decided which one I'm doing, but there's a couple of good ones I'm thinking of. Uh, and also I'll be doing a new thing. Uh, I haven't got a proper title for it, but it's kind of a stripped back murder mile. Uh, there are some kind of big topics that I want to uh, tackle, not not murder related, but kind of things that are really topical and up to date. And what I want to do is find a way of doing those. So uh, uh, there's some new cases that I'll be diving in with, with that. I think I'm, I'm, I'm calling it murder mile stripped at the moment, but... I'm just not too sure what to call it, but they will go in there as well. They, I, I'm really excited about those. There's something, something different about it. It's, it, yeah. Mm. Uh, so that will be doing. But when Murder Mile will be returning, I don't know. I don't quite know. I'm not going to rush into it. Uh, I'm not going to set a date just yet. It'll probably. I think it'll probably be like end of February, start of March. I think. But what I'll do is. Uh, uh stay on the on this channel this uh, on murder mile and what you'll do is uh i will post a uh, murder mile coming soon little mini thing and that'll tell <clears throat> and that will you don't to be honest you don't even need to listen to it that will literally be the week before it all comes back so um as before what i want to do is go off and research all the cases and then get a couple of episodes done and ready and then get them get get myself a couple of weeks ahead of the game so uh yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do this all by yourself. So uh, yeah, uh, so that's that. That's that. So uh, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone uh, for listening, uh, supporting the podcast. Uh, thank you to all my patrons for your uh, uh, for, for keeping the the podcast afloat. That's um, your money has not only gone to, towards a new laptop, which I haven't set up yet, but I have bought, and that will be used in the new series. Uh, the new podcasting equipment, uh, but also the cost of researching because uh, going back and forth to the archives is, is costs a lot of money, so that's very much appreciated. Uh, but thank you to everyone who's, who's listened to and supported the podcast and, and writing reviews and you know, just sending me nice messages. It really does help a lot. So, end of the year, uh, end of season four, end of th- season three of Murder Mile. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. I will... Uh, you will hear from me soon, and this is Murder Mile, signing off. Bye! How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.